Coming up on Studio Berlin. I, of course, immediately went to the wall at the Brandenburg Gate. I picked up pieces of the wall, which I still have and treasure. 30 years ago, the Berlin Wall fell. And just one year later, in 1990, East and West Germany were reunited. We can learn from this uh, years of uh, 1989 and 1990 because of uh, this strong desire uh, for freedom. But 30 years later, not everyone in Germany is in the mood to celebrate. Um, most people are sort of critical of things and there's talk of this East-West divide. More on the fall of the Berlin Wall and the making of a new Germany. Up next on Studio Berlin. Welcome to Studio Berlin, our weekly current affairs show here on KCRW Berlin. Each week, we're taking a closer look at the events shaping our lives here in Germany's capital. I'm your host, Eric Hirschbaum, and in today's show, we remember the fall of the Berlin Wall 30 years ago. This is the sound from that unforgettable night, November 9th, 1989, where people celebrated on top of the Berlin Wall. When the Berlin Wall fell, the communist East German regime crumbled with it. The Cold War was over, and just a year or so later, East and West Germany were reunited. We'll talk about the events leading up to the fall of the Berlin Wall, the euphoria back then in the city, and we'll talk about the making of a new Germany after 1989. For this discussion, I welcome Hope Harrison. She's an associate professor of history and international affairs at the George Washington University and author of the book, After the Berlin Wall, Memory and the Making of the New Germany, 1989 to the Present. Thank you. It's wonderful to be here. And I welcome Gunther Noka. He's the personal representative of the German Chancellor for Africa in the Federal Ministry of Economic Cooperation and Development. He started his political career, more importantly, as a civil rights activist in East Germany with Demokratische Aufbruch, or the Democratic Awakening. Hi, Gunther. Hi. Great to have you. Hope, I'll start with you first. You were on a flight from New York to West Berlin early in the morning of November 10th, 1989. The pilot went on the loudspeaker to tell the passengers what had happened with the Berlin Wall and announced, ladies and gentlemen, we're flying into history. What happened next? How did you spend your morning in Berlin? Well, it was an extraordinary experience. I was writing my dissertation on the Berlin Wall, and suddenly while I was flying here, it fell overnight. I was just stunned and overjoyed. I, of course, immediately went to the wall at the Brandenburg Gate. I picked up pieces of the wall, which I still have and treasure. I um, went to see uh, the chancellor um, and Willy Brandt and Genscher addressing the public at Rathaus Schöneberg. And I even went into the East uh, to experience a demonstration of the people who were calling for changes. Well, you've made a whole <laughs> career out of the Berlin Wall and in your nice book, uh, after the Berlin Wall. What what made you want to write that? What's your motivation for writing a book about the Berlin Wall 30 years later? Yeah, well, this is my second book on the Berlin Wall. I seem to be absolutely fascinated by uh, the crazy situation of how a city could be divided by a wall. It just struck me as such a painful, terrible thing to divide families and friends and schools. And I wanted to understand how that happened. So my first book, Driving the Soviets Up the Wall was about the decision to build the wall in 1961. 
But now with the book I just came out with, I couldn't let go of the wall. And this time I look at how Germany has grappled with the history of the wall since it fell, what they've done for the people who were killed trying to escape, how they've understood the fall of the wall, and in general, how Germany grapples with that part of its history. Gunther, uh, your life was changed a lot as well by the fall of the wall in 1989. You were a civil rights activist back then. You grew up in Forest, 150 kilometers southeast of Berlin. Did you ever think the Berlin Wall would collapse? It was uh, absolutely unbelievable that this uh, kind of uh, development had happened in uh, 1989. The wall came down on November 9th and... The most important thing for us was the three months between the, the opening of the border between Hungary and Austria. Uh, in, in June, uh, there was a public event. Everyone was uh, informed about that. People went to the holidays to Hungary with, uh, uh, with the yeah, intention or not to leave the country in uh, the East German uh, GDR, the communist dictatorship. And what had happened in, in September, October, that was much more important for us than the only event on that day. Um, I, I was uh, involved in the civil rights uh, movement, a, a group under the roof of the church. And we, we were very, very excited about this uh, tipping point in Leipzig, the Monday demonstration. 9th of October. That was for us the main event or the, the tipping point, uh, as I called it, uh, for the peaceful revolution because of the armed forces did not react uh, violently. Mm -hmm. That was an important important element the whole time. There was no no bloodshed. That's something that always fascinates me as well, especially Harald Jaeger on November 9th, 1989, opening the border peacefully uh, when he could have done something otherwise. So that's one of the fascinating things for me about German history. Where exactly were you on the night of November 9th? Do you remember that? <laughs> I remember that I slept. Uh, I was in the southeast of Saxony, south of the city of Dresden. We were in a region in the GDR where no coverage by Western broadcasting stations worked. Uh, and, and so I have heard this in the morning. Hope, let's talk a bit about your book, After the Berlin Wall. You argue that there are gaps in the narrative about what happened in 1989. You argue that some people have been left out of that narrative. Can you tell us a bit more about that? Well, first, let me say that my partner here on the show, Gunter Noka, played a very important role in making sure the history of the wall has been remembered in United Germany. In fact, I'm happy to be with him because I write about him and his wife as some of the people I call memory activists who said, yes, we know everyone wants to get rid of the wall, but we should also remember this history, and there should be some places where people can see it. And it's partly due to him arguing in the Bundestag that this part of German history is also important. So some of the gaps, the main approach that Germans have taken to the fall of the wall over the past 10 years focuses on the role of the peaceful revolution, the East German citizens who took to the streets and demanded change, and the civic activists like Gunter Noka and his wife Maria, who played an important role in that. But as you mentioned earlier, there are others. Harold Yeager, the decision of the people in power to peacefully give up that power 
was very important. And it's harder to talk about that. It seems to me the Germans aren't quite ready yet to talk too much about the fact that it took both sides. It took demands from people on the streets and from the people leaving, but it also took the people in power their sort of courage um, to decide to peacefully withdraw. The, the, the interesting point is that we are speaking about a peaceful revolution, and that's right uh, because of this uh, 9th of October in Leipzig and this kind of... Uh, that the state or the authorities, armed forces or armed urgents, had that day refrained from using violence. But two days before in Berlin, 7th of October, there was a violent uh, clash between the demonstrators and, and the police. The interesting point is that uh, Jäger at that day in the night of 9th uh, of November when the wall came down, that was one man who took the right decision. There were many others who did not know what, what is happening and no order from the leading party or from the, the, the bosses in the army and the, the, the border police and so on were sent to them. I mean, it's an impressive argument you make, Hope, in your book that it's, you call it the founding myth of the United Germany, that it's the, the uprising from the streets. I have lived in here for 30 years and I, I enjoy that, the idea that Germans went to the streets, that this country with such a tough history has this peaceful revolution three months after Tiananmen Square. Not a shot was fired. No, there was no real bloodshed. And I wonder why they don't celebrate it even more than they do. Why do you call it a myth? Um, that's just a term that scholars use. And in this case, it means an understanding that United Germany was born from the first ever successful yeah. democratic revolution in Germany. And it was carried out by the East Germans themselves. And what I argue is that that understanding of this history became the dominant narrative 20 years after the fall of the wall. It took 20 years yeah. for German leaders to embrace that and, and really celebrate and be proud, which they did uh, at the Brandenburg Gate 20 years later with all of the leaders of the EU and the US and Russia Gunther and I, I think uh, we're both uh, there sitting in the VIP stands at the Brandenburg Gate watching this all happen. Fireworks going off overhead, Beethoven's Ninth. Yeah. It was a grand celebration. And what I felt as an outsider, as an American looking at this, I thought for the first time in recent history, Germans seemed to feel the weight on their shoulders from the past, yeah. particularly from the Holocaust, had been lifted that essentially they were saying, you know what, Germans can be good. We can. We did something great with taking to the streets all these German citizens who got their courage up and called for change. Yeah, Hope had a very nice line in her book, um, Germans may lead the world in agonized self-examination of their history, which I think is a nice line to add. Um, we're in the middle of a very interesting discussion here. Um, we'll be talking more about the new Germany after a short break. Stay tuned. Public radio programs attract educated consumers and business decision makers. You can reach this highly desirable audience with your company's marketing message on KCRW Berlin. Isn't it time to make our listeners your customers? 
Find out how by emailing us at sponsorships at kcrwberlin.org or online at kcrwberlin.com slash sponsorships. Hey, you, you've been hearing and reading the news all day. So what are you getting out of it? Are you smarter, more informed, better prepared for your dinner party later tonight? Well, The Takeaway has you covered. We ask the tough questions, we hold lawmakers accountable, and if something just doesn't seem right, we ask, how did we get here? It's The Takeaway with me, Tanzina Vega. Tune in to The Takeaway weeknights at 6 on 104.1 KCRW Berlin. Welcome back to Studio Berlin on KCRW Berlin. I'm your host, Eric Kirschbaum. We're talking about the 30th anniversary of the fall of the Berlin Wall and the forming of the new Germany after 1989. With me are Hope Harrison, an associate professor of history and international affairs at the George Washington University and the author of a new book, After the Berlin Wall. And also with Gunter Nuka, a former civil rights activist and now the personal representative of the German Chancellor for Africa and the Federal Ministry of Economic Development Cooperation. Before we pick up our conversation, let's listen to hear what some people in Berlin have to say about what's on their mind 30 years after the fall of the wall. Uh, so my wife is from Eastern Germany, so <laughs> and there are many couples mixing, and it's not really a topic for most people. Uh, I think it is uh, good, but uh, sometimes they uh, make a difference between East and West again. But I think uh, it's getting closer, but it takes more time than 30 years. Parts of the East, they have gone. So I understand the East people, which are maybe sad about it. I think this is the difference. The, the, for us from the West, we just feel like we had to pay for it. And the East maybe have to feel like they were taken over. I've actually, I'm born in 1995, so I've never, like, I've never seen the wall, actually. But um, there are still differences because my family still lives in former eastern, uh, the eastern part of Germany. And I think the biggest difference is payment, like um, what they get paid um, compared to here and to West uh, Germany. It's still, like, so different. But the most unifying thing for me, for the whole country, is the World Cup um, football. And that's when we've really seen Germany united. Football really, really brings Germans together. And I just think that's truly very, very special. And I hope that continues. So is it true that it's only football that brings Germans together these days? What do you think of those comments on the street? It's difficult. I remember that Germany won the championship in 1990, but no one celebrated this. It was a year of unity and everyone was, or hesitate that too much nationalism could be not the right thing or the wrong message to the world. I think we, we have uh, tackled a lot of challenges in the last 30 years together. So I, I, I would say the... German unification or the German unity is a kind of success story. But of course, uh, I would agree that uh, there are also differences. Even uh, 30 years later, there's a kind of uh, echo uh, of the socialization of people. And that was quite different in a dictatorship in the East and in a free democracy uh, in Western uh, uh, states or in the German Länder in the West. 
Yeah, what's surprising, too, is the voting patterns seem to be so different in East and West. The AFD is so strong in the East. And there's all kinds of things, the different levels of pensions, the different levels of wealth, prosperity. Um, Hope, about 30 years ago, people were saying it would take a generation for Germany to be reunited. It's been a generation and a half and doesn't really seem to be reunited yet, does it? Well, again, it depends who you ask. If you ask young people who've been born since the fall of the wall, they can't imagine that it was divided and they they feel united and that it, you know, it is one country. It also depends um, with the new generation. What was the experience of their parents? If their parents had a tough time, if, for example, their parents were among those in the East who lost their work after unification, then... The, the children, too, sort of bear that kind of indirect memory. But for many others um, from the East, certainly it, it's, it's been opportunity to travel and, you know, sort of do anything. Mm. So, you know, I always tell my German friends there are always regional differences in every country. Yeah, but, Italy has drastic differences between yeah. North and South. Yeah, but that's a problem. I would clarify for myself two points. Uh, of course, there was a lot of unemployment and uh, the developments after 1990, after uh, German unity, that uh, has affected the people and uh, every family. And of course, uh, it creates a, a different uh, understanding of the last 30 years. But what, what you mentioned with AFD and uh, the right-wing party in, in East Germany and the success there, I think it's not the, the common uh, understanding that East Germans uh, are damaged by a dictatorship or the propaganda of the Communist Party. The, the East Germans uh, realized that they can use democracy for their own interest. And it's a kind of protest against the ruling people, the ruling party, the so-called mainstream media. And they uh, are very democratic because of it's allowed to say things which in our sense here maybe sounds uh, illiberal. And East Germans are speaking very freely about those things they are interested in. Mm-hmm. I mean... I think you're uh, absolutely right um, about expressing their their views. And the 2017 election campaign, Angela Merkel was often booed at the rallies in East Germany. And every night she was out there going after it. And, and But seeing the East Germans express their point of view as loudly as that was interesting. You, you know Angela Merkel very well. She's from East Germany. But if you didn't know that, it'd be hard to realize that because she doesn't talk much about her East German roots. And it's hard to really identify her to the region. Is that a fair comment, or is she a, a, an East German first? Uh, I, I think the German Chancellor Angela Merkel is full aware of the East German situation. She was working in, in East Germany. Uh, she she has studied in Leipzig. The, the parents lived in the north of uh, Berlin, in the state of Brandenburg. And, and the summer house is there of Angela Merkel. So I think it's more uh, what can a German chancellor say for everyone in Germany, for every citizens, uh, citizen in the East and in the West, and which kind of message to the entire world is, uh, is the most adequate. And uh, I think she is more interested in private talks about the situation in East Germany than to... Uh, 
to say it publicly. I write about this issue in my book, the question of how much Angela Merkel represents the East. And uh, until the 20th anniversary of the fall of the wall, she didn't talk a lot about her Eastern background. And I think that's because she felt as a German chancellor, she had two strikes against her. She was a woman and from the East. And she wanted to represent all Germans and not be seen by West Germans as a chancellor mm. from the East. But I think it partly has had the impact that people from the East haven't always felt that she has sort of directed her efforts toward their interests. And I think that, you know, she was she was in a tough spot mm. needing to do this. But she has really taken on this year. I mean, it's headlines here every day. 30 years after the fall of the wall, and the, there's still some division. And she has really jumped on this and has been engaging in talks, you know, going into these, listening to people. But I would say that in terms of dealing with the East German past, I think maybe Germany would be farther along getting away from a black-white view mm -hmm. of the East German past if she had more directly addressed her own experiences in East Germany and how difficult it was to sort of every day decide mm. to go along. Because in most of the dialogue in Germany, still 30 years later, it's mostly black and white. It's, you know, the bad people in the regime and the good mm. people who took to the streets. But the majority of East Germans, the vast majority of them, were in between those two extremes. Okay, we're, we're starting to run out of time. But uh, one more question I want to ask both of you. What's on your mind 30 years after the wall fell? What, what do you see as the future for Germany? Is it a bright future? Is it a troubled future? Where is Germany going? We can learn from this years of uh, 1989 and 1990 because of... Um, this strong desire uh, for freedom, for change, uh, that uh, hasn't vanished in the world. But on the other hand, the open society is under pressure, and in, uh, Europe and Germany, we, we, we should not uh, play in the game as uh, those who are not really accepted. And that means... Uh, Germany has to play their own role inside Europe. For me, the, the most challenging question is how to get a functional Europe, a strong Europe in the world, and what about the German leadership to build this uh, strong Europe with a kind of more geopolitical uh, responsibility and understanding? It's complicated. And on this anniversary, there's not that much of a celebratory mood. Um, most people are sort of critical of things, and there's talk of this East-West divide, uh, which makes me sad. It's, you know, it was a great moment in history, not just for Germany, but for the world. And looking ahead to the government after Angela Merkel, it's unclear, you know, who will take over. She has been such a beacon of stability mm. in Germany, in Europe, in the world with her embracing of democratic values, which are under fire in mm. Europe and elsewhere. And so I personally will be 
watching very carefully and hoping very much that um, the the lessons that so many Germans like Gunter Noka draw mm. from 1989 of the importance of standing up for freedom and democracy uh, remains so important mm. in these difficult times. And that's it for our show on the 30th anniversary of the fall of the Berlin Wall. Thank you, Hope. Thank you for having me. Hope Harrison is an associate professor of history and international affairs at the George Washington University and author of the book, After the Berlin Wall. And thank you, Gunther. Yeah, thank you. Gunther Nuke is a former civil rights activist and now the personal representative of the German Chancellor for Africa in the Federal Ministry of Economic Cooperation and Development. I'm your host, Eric Kirschbaum. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thanks for listening and make sure to tune in next weekend for another edition of Studio Berlin here on 104.1 FM. Have a great weekend. <laughs>